If money were a food in your life, what food would it be? And it was to get to that notion, is it junk food? Is it nutritious? Is it comfort food? To sort of kind of get us to think about in a shorthand way, yeah. Is it a part of our nourishment? Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out-of-money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, it's a distinct honor to welcome Elizabeth Chaton to the show. Now, Elizabeth is a true thought leader of thought leaders in the field of financial planning, and I, there's too many things to list off to, that are bragworthy. Let's just say that she has made major contributions to the field of financial planning. So maybe you don't always see her name front and center but it's been there too. But Elizabeth just brings a world of knowledge and perspective and really just kindness and grace to the whole field of financial planning. And so I'm so mm-hmm. happy to have her here, have her here with us today. Um, she's one of the first people that I met when I was transitioning into being a financial therapist. So I've just got a gazillion questions for Elizabeth and I'm so happy to have her here. So I'm gonna stop rambling. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you. And it is so wonderful to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. So if you wouldn't mind, Maybe letting listeners know a little bit about who you are, what what your journey through the field of financial planning has been. Well, like most of us, I think whether we're financial planners or or some other part of life, my journey is not linear. Um, you know, I um, grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I had an interest in meditation and self development from a really early age, and that was really my focus. Uh, I started in journalism. I studied meditation. It never occurred to me that I would work in the field of finance, but life has its way of saying, you know what, we'd like you to go in this door over here. And it took a long time to sort of integrate all what I would say, those parts of myself um, and realize that, wow, this was, this was perfect because money is so deeply connected to every other phase of our life, whether we consciously know it or not. And so uh, oddly enough, I was like the second female stockbroker in Atlanta Journal. That was, I mean, Atlanta Journal, sorry, the Atlanta, in Atlanta Georgia. Um, that, was a, that was a difficult role, but it was at the beginning of sort of financial planning. And I quickly transitioned when I discovered this new thing called financial planning, where we got to really to bring together all the aspects of someone's financial life. But um, in the process of that, I was reading the uh, our professional journals and getting introduced to some remarkable thought leaders who were, were resonating with me in the sense that they were seeing that money is close to our soul, that, that if we use our resources well, it helps us live a thriving, meaningful, purposeful life. And that 
suddenly made me realize, okay, I think I'm in the right place. And that sort of started my journey in financial planning. I got very involved in the profession and in speaking and writing and leadership and all of that stuff. But really, my passion was helping couples, helping families sort of align money with what was truly important to them and making the most of it. Um, now I'm kind of in my encore career of teaching other financial planners and coaching other financial planners to hopefully sort of carry on this perspective that you share so deeply in your heart and work yet. So that's the short version of a, as all of our stories of a long convoluted life. <laughs> an, an hour podcast interview, 45 minute podcast interview is not enough to do it full justice. But I think you know <laughs> what I hear in that is one, the laughter of just, you know, like the joy that that is comes from you from being able to look at your life. And I think what a gift that is. Right? And I think that that's you know, reaching to couples mm -hmm. and individuals who are not feeling the joy of life right now and trying to figure out how do I live more joyfully? How do I help? How, how do I how does money help facilitate a joyful life? Can that even happen? I think there's a lot of people that you know, think money and a good life are so diametrically opposed. And so, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do you know, I'm just going to go ahead and dive straight in deep. Um, how does Please. a relationship with money grow and change? How do you help people grow and change their relationship with money? Well, just like, you know, psychologically, we go through stages in our life. And during each of those stages, I think there's, um, we're going through a money stage in some ways as well. You know, when we're, when we're young, money doesn't really hold any meaning. Everything's provided to us. Most of us didn't learn very much about money other than if we observed our family's behavior, we probably got some weird messages like money is evil or money is hard or money replaces love, right? So we start off with these sort of innocent, bizarre beliefs that are so unconscious, as you so well know, and, and we bring start bringing that into adulthood, but completely unconscious, right? And then we go about the work of becoming adults and suddenly realize, what the heck is, what are, what are these taxes coming out of my check? Well, I, I worked so hard, right? Suddenly the reality of what money does and is, right? Like, where'd my money go? Or what is this thing I have to file April 15th? And, and why am I drowning in debt all of a sudden? It's not my fault. I needed all this stuff. I needed an education. And so there's a there's that just to write a complete shot to the system of of money and and it, you know and then at that point I think our paths sort of diverge but we still have that journey of adulthood right we start being in the place of developing our personalities and who we are in our work and what work we do and we start to realize wow there's a relationship between the career path I chose and how much money I make can I do what I love and still make a living? Or boy, I make a lot of money, but I don't love what I do. So we start bumping into those kinds of challenges. And then we may pick up a partner along the way and get married or connect. And then we have another person's history and journey to integrate. And typically we don't talk about it, but it's behind the scenes working every day. I can't believe she just spent that much money on those shoes. I can't believe he just bought a boat, whatever the thing is, right? But but right. we're on a journey of becoming our full selves. And, and so money is right along there. Our journey with money, that's unfolding too, right? 
would you say in some ways it's not separable? They're, they're just so deeply interwoven that you can't pull the, the threads apart fully. I think it is. And I think one of the things that good financial planners do, right, is that they make it help us make it conscious, right? Help us see how money is sort of, uh, you know, one of those threads running through our lives, right, that can be, if we pay attention to it, um, things can be much better. We can thrive. We can make adjustments. We can't make choices about things that aren't conscious for us. And so, yeah, I think it's deeply woven. And for some of us, and I was one of them, I thought of myself as an artist or creative or a spiritual person. Money wasn't, I didn't care about money. Well, that's just a story, right? I, whether I think I care or not, I can't live without it. It is hard at work in my life. And so that kind of, you know, whether it's denial or whatever it is, again, uh, money, the money force isn't going away. Yeah. So how can we make it better? Right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, like the reality of money is like the reality of gravity. You got to learn to work with it. Otherwise, it's just going to slam you to the ground. I mean, maybe a little harsh. Yeah. Analogy, but... It's a little harsh, but it's true. It's like our good friend, you know, we, your listeners won't know this person, but Dick Wagner, a good thought leader and friend of ours, you know, would say that money is the most powerful secular force on the planet, that it's a 21st century survival skill. And that's the work that those of us in this field are really trying to do is help people do more than survive, but become resilient and thrive by making good, you know, use being conscious and using their money better. Yeah. So, yes. So thriving, using your money better. The artist creative part is part of part of your archetype. I'm hearing that the stories about artists and creatives and money is, you know, pretty notorious. And yet, what I'm curious to ask right. you, Elizabeth, if someone's listening and they're saying, that's who I am, or I'm married to someone like that, and we're struggling to connect around our finances, how would you advise or counsel them to, to work with that? Yeah, I think one of the things that's beautiful in relationship is that um, so often together we make a whole. But that whole is made of two very different pieces, right? And we spend our lives trying to sort through that. And so often the couples that I was working with, I would often do a simple personality test or whatever. And we would find, yes, one is the creative, energetic, looking at creating the fun and or experience in life. And the other one is the natural planner. You know, do we have enough? Are we budgeting so different but when you bring it together what we have as a whole we have someone who's tending the quality of our life and someone who's tending the well-being and foundational you know making sure the resources are there to support it and so it's a it can be ideal but it's a lot of work and it takes conscious work and and it takes some you know it's helpful to have someone i think who can give us some techniques and tools and and remind us that we're normal that it's that it's fine that we're different not one of us is wrong and the other right we're each bringing something that's pretty critical to living i think it's such a valuable journey and message uh, so elizabeth we're talking about couples and them being different and the couples at least that i work with oftentimes come in when they start out they see their differences as the problem but i think what you're saying is the differences are actually a benefit 
but it's it's kind of how you frame or see your differences that starts to be a really critical part of this whole journey. Is is that what you're getting at? It is. So for so just you know for instance, um, you know even my husband and I we were both financial planners, but we couldn't be more different. Um, the analogy I used to use with clients to make them feel better is if you looked in Michael's sock drawer, all of his socks are color coded and texturally organized. I mean, it's beautiful and everything's folded in the same direction. If you open my sock drawer, it looks like Hurricane Anna came through and it's just a jumble of sock. And so um, that sort of extends throughout every element, even though I think I'm a really good financial planner, I learned to sort of harness it, but that's sort of our natural beings, right? That we bring into relationship. And so learning how to navigate and have conversations and make decisions together when he could, he could get in a box and just be in the box. And I never, I never saw a box I liked in terms of, you know, I want to be spontaneous. I'm always thinking what more, what possible, blah, blah, blah. but together, you know, we, I think we made better decisions. It's not, it was not easy. It's still not easy because, you know, we have our tendencies and we want somebody to respond just like we do, but, but the understanding helped tremendously. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think, well, uh, I, I think we both did a few. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. It, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> I no, I'm just I'm so admiring and appreciative because I think one of the things that's coming to my mind is hearing people openly reflect on their long term intimate relationships is such a value. Right? And like what I hear from you is just that wisdom mm -hmm. of experience and and saying like and yeah, sometimes we still kind of have to work through and remember that our differences are not the problem. Like You've been married for, I don't know how many years, but it's more than five or 10 at this point. Yeah, 25 years, um, uh, yeah. So yeah, 25 years. I mean, that's that's a good length of time, but I think there's also this kind of acceptance at this point. It's like, well, I am Elizabeth and he is Michael and there's a certain amount that we're right. not changing each other. And so we're gonna continue to- Yeah, and then, you know- And approach it differently. Right, but we have had enough experience now, I think, to be able to reflect on and say, okay, we've been here before. His viewpoint is actually helpful. You know, that helps. When early on in a relationship, you don't have that history yet, it's harder. And um, that's why I think, you know, therapy and good financial planning go a long way to give us the tools to communicate and also just techniques. Uh, you know, when we when we worked with couples, for instance, you know, one of my things was I think it's there's yours, mine and ours. I think where couples can and, and understand. I know we're talking about people who have some sense of enough. If you are struggling to meet your basic needs, that's a that's a different set of circumstances and challenges. But once you're at that point and moving beyond that, then um the word sovereignty came up in our practice, particularly for women, but I think men too, that women in particular, I think, need a sense of sovereignty of this is mine. And and I think both parties in a couple often need that. And so we would always make sure that there's, you know, there's yours 
hers and ours, right? We don't, you don't need to, you know, to have to report on everything you spend to each other is burdensome. And so, you know, making sure there was some amount of funds every year, every month that you don't have to report in as long as it's legal and safe, you know, I don't have to tell you how much or what I bought on paid for shoes. This is my, it just alleviates having to negotiate everything, which I think is a challenge in relationships. If we have to negotiate everything, we wear ourselves, we just get exhausted, right? I know you've probably got tools and techniques too, but we looked for places to create ease, right? Where can we create some ease? No, I think that's, that's right. I think that's one of those biggest sticking points for couples is how do we organize conceptually our money and what does that mean and yours mine and ours is is a very simple model and i think what you're saying is it's not that that doesn't mean there isn't financial transparency where you can right. talk about each other and ask from time to time hey how are things going in your individual side of things like if i'm racking up a bunch of debt but it's oh it's my debt that's a problem right or you know right, right. So safe and legal were qualifying terms i think that's really yeah, right right yeah important but it, i think you yeah. know very pragmatic like the cognitive load of like me having to go to talk to my wife and be like okay i'm going out to lunch again today just wanted to let you know no she knows you know i'm going to go out and go to lunch two to three times a week and it's going to cost 40 dollars a week and so be it and we just go on with it don't worry about it and she's exactly. going to go get her haircuts right. and you know have some working knowledge of how much it is but it's just what she wants to spend her money on and it's okay but there's there's also that foundation of trust and that's where i see so many couples really struggle is that journey of building trust in their partner building trust in themselves that they can have that kind of open conversation where it's actually okay for each person to have some of their own discretionary money right yeah and that's what where those conversations about you know what their experience was like growing up is so and so much insight right we make up stories and we don't typically talk about it, but to understand, you know, wow, our partner's parents thought about money all the time or they never had enough or they, they're immigrants who, you know, had a whole different type of story and relationship with money, whatever that story is, right? It, it's having that influence and, and creating a safe space for people to go down that path and have those conversations and start to realize wow, we're one of us, like you said, isn't wrong and I'm right or vice versa. We just have had very different money experiences that that bring us to where we are today. And what do we want it to be? What do we want our money story to be? You know, how do we want to be together around money? What a great question, you know? Well, I love it because that builds on the growth and developmental uh, narrative building side of things, right? We can't fully change the story of our past. We can work through the story and unpack it and try to make sense out of it. And that has some value to it, but it's also, you know, the argument for a lot of people about therapy is like, well, you're just spending time looking backwards, but that doesn't help me in the forward. And I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but there is this right, right. Of time, right? Like part, so part of financial planning is being able to have a little bit of retrospective, but it's a lot about looking forward about right. what are we trying to create together? Sure. And, you know, um, yeah. Where my brain started to go 23 different directions there for a minute, so I had to reel it in for just a moment. But before we started recording <laughs> this episode, you said you're a big fan of Jungian psychology and you've read quite a number of books by Bud Harris. And so 
Right. Because we're talking about healthy love and money. We like using psychology to understand ourselves. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about Jungian psychology, what you've learned from there, how that that psychological lens helps us work with our life and money? That's a massive question, but I, I, will, I will try. So, so Carl <laughs> Jung, J-U-N-G. No, that's okay. I love big, juicy questions. Um, you know, he was... He he was somewhat of a, a peer of, of Freud, but he went his own way. And that's always a courageous thing to do, to, to say, I see things differently. And in his view, um, we are all on a journey to wholeness. And that's the, the psychology that he really focused on was, was not, we are so broken, but that we are we are just on this journey to wholeness, and the things that we feel broken about are are shadow. They're they're a part of us that we need to understand and accept, and and so it it to me it's sort of this positive framing where the challenges we go through, and that you and I were talking about our own challenges and sort of dark nights of the soul that you go through. Some are some are physical, literally, and some are sort of you know more emotional or things happen. That, that from that we we can grow if we're intentional and um, and I think that happens with us in our relationship with money whether it's we lose a job or we do go through a divorce or we go through a breakdown in our relationship around how hard it is to work with our money that that in that is the potential to to heal and to move to something better rather than just tamping it down and trying to step on it and say we just need to keep the status quo going but but in western culture it's hard because you know i'm i grew up i lived as an adult mostly in atlanta georgia which is a big city and it's a i would call it a very consumer oriented city right people drive big car they drive cars cuz we have to drive they have nice houses cuz we're a suburban city and you know, I remember clients coming in and saying, are we the worst off people you've ever worked with? What a what a shameful, what a sad framing. But it's because they may be looking at their next door neighbor who has three cars in the driveway and they just painted the house and did an addition. And the story they make up is this family is happier, more successful, when in fact they may just have more debt. And so the, the 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 striving that we we get caught up in versus getting to know who we are and what really matters to us and being on that path so that we use money as a tool to live well, to be resilient so we can deal with things that are challenging. That is not an easy path and it's not the popular path, but it's the only one that works, right? <laughs> it's the only... The competitive, I got to have more than you path just never works out well, right? So I don't know if that helps. Jungian psychology, it's it's a big it's a big thing, and I'll be on that pathway, you know, my whole rest of my whole life. But it is a path towards something, you know. He called it individuation. Who am I, and what are my values, and how will I live my life to feel whole and thriving versus how can I conf- you know how can I conform and let my ego be happy all the time and pretend everything's just fine? Meanwhile, the bankers are on their way over to the house. <laughs> so, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that this the question, I, the follow up question I have to you is this: that what you're sharing is not 
anti-consumerism or anti like you have to go live as a monk somewhere no which is the way my brain distorts it sometimes so i'm assuming i'm distorting a little that's bit, a right? big like, point i have played out yeah. i have played out this type of story and said well uh, poking the shadow side of consumerism well okay if consumerism is bad then i'll, I'll try to just strip down and not do any consume consume right. and materialistic right. oh my gosh as if yeah bad too. which would so the world would come to an end yeah exactly that's a great follow-up question or thought that this isn't anti it's not anti-capitalism it's not anti-consumer it is sort of anti-consumerism but it is consume what matters for me and you know um, for me, beauty and nature matter. So I spent money to have a home in the mountains and to make it beautiful. And I buy a lot of gardening stuff, but I can't buy a lot of gardening stuff and travel around the world twice this year, right? So there's choices informed by what really matters. And so, yes, we're, money is, you know, it's, it's the, it's the distortion of, of, you know, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible said. It said the love of money is the root of all evil. It's that notion that it can do everything and we must, you know, have everything. It's, it's um, money is a beautiful resource and tool. It can buy us time. It can time for relationship. It can, I mean, it's a lot of good stuff it'll do, but it is a skill. I think that's the thing I love most about financial planning is we're in a position to help people both explore what really matters and set priorities and learn about themselves and how they think about money and feel about it and what they want in their lives. And then also have the, the tools, the practical tools and skills to do the analysis to help people make important decisions with their money. I love that. I love that it, it brings those things together. And I think most of us need that kind of help. It's a hard thing to do on your own. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. We're on a week. There's so many so many threads I want to pick up on Elizabeth. I knew this was going to happen in this interview. So uh, listeners, you know, just bear with us. Enjoy the ride that Elizabeth and I are on. Okay. Show for couples. Couples. One of the stories that I'm curious to ask Elizabeth about, and this is something I've been playing with because I'm, I am very familiar with the Christian scriptures about evil being the root of money. Noah's the love of money is the root of all evil. And I don't know, it was last year sometime. I just had this thought in my head that said, you know what? I think that might even be wrong. I think, you know, if we can't love money in a healthy way, we're all, we're going to have this adversarial relationship with it. And so what I loved you saying kind of after we, you said that is money is beautiful. And I was like, what another yeah. nice adjective. And so it's thinking about how do we allow these most enduring adjectives 
pair healthily mm-hmm. with money. So it's, I think the love of money, like the, the meaning behind that scripture is like the obsessive love of money might be a better qualifying statement. Yes. Like, but I love, that. love and care for it much like you're a gardener, you bring love to your garden, it bears great fruit or beauty. So I, th- I just want to. I love that, that so much. I love it. I love that so much. I'm so glad you went there. My favorite word of the year is the word tend, tending. When we tend something, like I tend, we think of, like you said, tending a garden. Well, what does that mean? It means I put attention on it in a nurturing, caring, I want it to be beautiful and healthy way. I think. I think the idea of tending money is the same thing. To tend money is not to pay too much attention on it. In fact, the great philosopher Jacob Needleman, who wrote a book called Money and Meaning, said we don't the problem is that we don't pay enough attention to money. Not that we pay it too much. We don't pay enough, but it's the what you're saying, it's the wrong kind of attention. And so this notion of tending, tending our money tending the source of it can we earn more are we making good choices are we you know whatever whatever that is but it's giving it attention as you say in sort of a loving caring i want to make the most of this kind of a way so i'm so grateful to you for raising that because i our language you're right around money is bad in fact i used to my friend eleanor blaney and i used to do retreats for women um, to talk about their relationship with money. And one of the questions we would ask is if money were a food in your life, what food would it be? And it was to get to that notion, is it junk food? Is it nutritious? Is it comfort food? To sort of kind of get us to think about, you know, short in a shorthand way, yeah. Is Wait, it a so part of our nourishment? If money were a food, what food would it be for you? Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. I'm writing that down because that's like the quote of the day, quote of the podcast. I mean, that is, <laughs> if money were a food, what, yeah. I'm going to be honest, my what first reaction, and this says a lot about me, is uh, pepperoni pizza. I'm going to have to journal well, there you go. what that means. Right? But it's kind of like, it's fast. Yeah, for me, it's, it's dark chocolate. I think it's, yeah, yeah. It's a little fun. The other question I often ask is, where do you feel money in your body? When I say the word money, where do you feel it? Right? You've probably worked with that one because our, as you so well know, our bodies are filled with, with knowledge and information and we get so rational. We get up in our heads when we think about money, but when you ask that question, a lot of people feel tension in their bellies or tightness in their chest, right? Those are those are things to listen to. Other people, I've had people say, oh, no, I feel this warm sensation. I feel a good, warm sensation. But to help us kind of connect to what's, what's going on in there that we can name, because it's hard. It's hard to sort of get a sense of what, what's happening in us with money, but it can... It can help loosen things up, and uh, so I always like to kind of see what comes up there. I, I'm not a somatic therapist, but I've read a decent bit in that area, and I do ask body-based questions, and I'm 
increasingly more intrigued. I'm actually, uh, I'm going to side rail this conversation just for a moment. It's, you know, it's our conversation to have. Uh, but I just started this new therapy model called TEB, and it's called Transforming the Experience-Based Brain. And I don't know how popular it is, but I got referred by actually a Jungian-based therapist, psychoanalytic. She said, this, this is great, so I'm trying it. And right to your point, right, we store so much information in our bodies, and most of us financial planning types, intellectual types are like from the neck up. And I ask questions of uh, the business types, the head up, and they, they have no idea what's going on in their body. Just not a clue at all. And that's right. not a slight because someone asked me that question five years ago. I would have looked at them like, you're crazy. I don't know. What, what does this have to do with anything? But there's actually right. incredible science, like hardcore, solid yes. science about the brain body, brain gut, neurotransmitters oh, yeah. in the brain or in the gut, not more neurotransmitters in the gut than in the brain. Yeah, and so that's exactly. I like to call it. intuition, like is actually pretty wise and knows what's going on and is, oh yeah, sorry, soapbox. And let me come back to be with you here. Um, so you are with me. I mean, that's where I was going is that, yeah, we, um, because it's money, we think all of the dialogue around it needs to be in the head and the rational, but most of our decisions as neuroscientists will tell us is we make a decision with our emotion and then justify it with our brain. So it would be helpful if we paid more attention to what is going on in the emotion and in the body, let those things weigh in, get that information flowing and then, and, and go from there. So I, I think this is, you know, this is good stuff to be talking about right here. Well, and I think, it, yeah, I think, and that's what's been so gratifying as, as I've studied and read more neuroscience and learned about brain anatomy and just how does the brain nervous system work is our, we've been trained in the Western world that it's our thoughts that are driving everything. And if we can control our thoughts and, and to some extent, our willpower, willpower our way through it, everything will work out, you know, white knuckling our finances. You know, right, the neuroscience is helping us understand how we actually work, not what we, how we think we work, but actually how do we mechanically work at mechanic. I don't mm-hmm. love that word, but like the nervous system is so super lightning fast and the, the limbic system, the emotional brain is so super fast and the cognitive brain is relatively slow. Yeah. Right. Like I, yeah. I know like, in this conversation with you, and this is why I keep saying I got to bring my brain back online is I get this intuitive nervous system, emotional rush of like, Oh, all these things to say. And then like, wait, hold on. That's going to come out totally scrambled for Elizabeth and for anybody. that's listening. <laughs> Let me slow myself back down, bring some words to it and be present. So. Yeah. That, you know, there was something you just said that reminded me and I can't remember who, who said this, but, um, you were talking about willpower that we think we have to will our way. And if we just exert enough control and willpower and, and, and in whatever environment this was, they said, so think about how much willpower you have. That's all you're ever going to have. It's like, that's, it's not a muscle. It's actually not, doesn't really get, it's not the path to improvement necessarily that, that, that it, it, you know, it, it almost makes it worse because we were our, 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 when I was taking one of my 
neuropsychology classes, you know, we were talking about the brain is somewhat like the Grand Canyon or Broadway Street in New York City. In other words, that, that there's been a pathway that's been worked over and over and over by the wind and the water. And so over time, it's made these impressions. And in New York City, right, when it was still farming country, Broadway was just this little path that the horses and buggies went down, but they kept going down it. And now people keep, it's now it's Broadway. And our brains can be like that, right? Where we just repeat, repeat, and these, you know, and willpower can do that. And it and it creates these habits or ruts. And it takes it 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 takes maybe some effort or new thinking or a new tool, a new way of trying something. Um, but this notion that we're gonna we're gonna force our way into better is sort of missing, I think, the the strengths and and creativity we can bring to things sometimes, and that maybe we're just missing a good tool or a good way of thinking about it, something new to sort of crack the code. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) I always loved that. I'm never going to have more. Cool. (laughs) No, no, I'm going to have more willpower, so you can't buy it on Amazon. can't get it in prime delivery. Sorry, not happening. Exactly. Maybe... um, a, a fool's errand, but what we do know is there's other exercises or ways of being with each other relationally. And I mean, your world is around adult education now and helping planners develop new ways of conceptualizing mm-hmm. and working with planners. And and mine is drawn on the therapy fields, but there's so much overlap. And I mean, the good news right. to me from neuropsychology is our brains are malleable; they can grow and change given the right uh-huh. context, yeah. and the right relationship, right? Right, and relationship between teacher and student or therapist and student is a huge factor in outcomes. Mm-hmm. At least that's my understanding. Is that kind of what you picked up on too? Yeah, absolutely. And and there are a couple of things when, when it comes to, I think of financial planning as, as a form of adult learning, right? We're helping people change behaviors or recognize something in themselves so that they can make better decisions and do behaviors that are, healthier for them and their finances. And and a couple of things need to take place. We have to use what they've already done. And so one of the questions that's often helpful for couples is to let them each sort of say, you know, give them, I, I asked the question, tell me about a time when you faced a challenge, but you overcame it, you got through it. And I asked the other partner, and you've probably done the same exercise, not I didn't invent it, you know, Listen for the resources and play that back to them because we are all incredibly resourceful. But when, when we, if we haven't been great with money, we think we, we have nothing to bring to the table, but we have immense strengths and competencies that we've brought to overcome things in our life and we can do it with money. And so rather than beat down on the things we're not so good at, what are our strengths? And to really help your partner really listen for those in each other and in yourself and, and, and realize, oh, good grief, I overcame that. I can figure this money stuff out. We can make, we can come up with something. I'm resilient. I'm resourceful. I've been disciplined. I've been courageous. I've made myself take the time to learn something new, whatever it is, right? I asked for help, right? I postponed something because now wasn't the right time. All of those are strengths that we can bring to this whole money thing. And so that's a 
that's a place we start. What have you already done well, right? Um, another thing in, in adult learning they teach us is that we, we build on what we already know. We can't dismiss what we already believe or know. It's going to creep back in. And so to, to be able to sort of, you know, name it and talk about it, right, is 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 helpful. Right. And then the and then another simple one is just reflection. We you were pointing out we're we're so quick, right? We move on to the next thing. And to give ourselves time, you know, if you've been in a financial planning meeting or if you've been to your therapist or you've been in a conversation together, to just give yourself that moment of pause to just say what just happened here? What did I learn here? What was a high point for me? What, what is still challenging me? That's a real core way that as adults, we grow. We take the time, and that's the beauty of the therapeutic relationship or the financial planning relationship. We're in, a, we're in an environment where someone is guiding us and helping us take the time to process, to pause, to think that stuff through. We don't do it at home. We're watching TV. We got to get dinner on the table. The kids are screaming. There's just too much. You need a sort of this safe little contained place, right? And that's one of the beautiful things, you know, about about the therapeutic and the financial planning space, like a professional space. Well, and it seems like it's just such a not, just like, you know, many of us are not, uh, we, we're not able to work out enough in our own home as we buy a gym membership to right. navigate that. And like the, we have yeah. these socially sanctioned places that we can go to work on different parts of our life. and. At the financial planning office or the therapist office, we really have a unique opportunity to become reflective, and and under that yes. big umbrella of reflective, there's so much that can happen. Um, so, wow. <laughs> I, so, Elizabeth, this has been an incredible interview. We've had so much fun as we wrap up this conversation for yeah. today, Elizabeth. What? What guidance, comfort, encouragement, knowledge would you offer to uh, couples out there that have been listening? You know, the, the beauty of it is you have a partner to be on this journey with and that you came together because you each saw something in the other. And that's a that's just a beautiful, wonderful thing. And so much is possible when you sort of kind of realize that and and take the time, find a way to allow each other to be in this space of learning together. I know this is a long-winded, complicated answer, but, um, you know, um, lighten up, lighten up about it. Money is a part of life. It's messy. It will always be messy. We are all weird about money. It's part of being human. So don't beat yourself up for any of that. So maybe that's part of it is lighten up, let your, give you, give yourselves a break but be on the journey, you know, do that tending. Think of it as a garden. This whole money thing and this relationship thing is the garden you're tending and enjoy it. Find a way to enjoy it. And I and I, I got your back. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's, it's so great. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time, your joy, your mm -hmm. own journey. It certainly has enhanced my journey and it's it's so great to know you. And I know we'll, our past will continue mm -hmm. to draw us many times over. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, 
It will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.